Welcome to episode 14 of the Spokesman Cycling Roundtable Podcast. This show was recorded Monday, March 19, 2007. The Spokesman Cycling Roundtable Podcast is a combination of some of the best cycling podcasts and blogs on the internet. Each show brings together some of the most famous voices and writers in cycling for a lively discussion of the current cycling news. Check out our website at www.the-spokesman.com. Before we begin this week's show, just a quick apology for the tardiness and for the quality of the recording. A couple of technical glitches and some personal issues have kept this show from your iPods and from your iTunes for just a couple of days, and for that, we apologize. We are working on getting our quality back up to its normal standards. Look for another show in about a week, week and a half. We hope to be bringing you more great topics, great information, and great quality. In the meantime, here are the spokesman welcome to episode 14 of the spokesman cycling roundtable podcast we have an almost full house with us this morning starting with tim jackson the mozzie guy tim grawl the crooked cog guy and carlton reed the bike biz and quickrelease.tv guy hi guys hi there good morning good morning good morning good afternoon good day well tim jackson and i we're going to start this th- whole thing off, I think, today because we were together last week in the nation's capital, Washington, D.C., well, our nation's capital, capital Carlton, um, for the National Bike Summit. And Tim, perhaps you'd set that up for us. Tell us about the, the Bike Summit. What is it? Who hosts it? And what's it all about? Well, the Bike Summit is largely a combination. Well, I, I, I guess officially it's put on by the League of American Bicyclists as well as um, bikes belong to an an extent. Um, The National Bike Summit is essentially a gathering of people from the bicycle industry uh, and other bicycle advocates who show up on the steps of the Capitol and basically plead the case for cyclists across the country. Um, Anything from cycling infrastructure, which we've already discussed before, I'm a big proponent of, to lobbying for tax breaks for people who ride their bikes as opposed to taking buses or carpools, things like that. Um, so there's there's a lot of really cool things going on there that um, were really awesome to be a, a part of. It's it's pretty awe-inspiring to, to actually walk into a Congress member's office and say, um, hi, I'm here from the National Bike Summit and I want to ask you for money. <laughs> I mean, it, it's it's pretty crazy. But it was it was pretty amazing, and myself and Jill Hamilton, my coworker at Haro, um, were there as uh, sponsored industry guests of Bikes Belong, to help represent the bike industry itself. Um, so they they actually uh, made it possible for us to be there, and it was it was really an honor. It was really an honor. So let's back up a second and talk about the the organizations that are involved here, and then about the the day before the lobbying efforts began. Uh, the League of American Bicyclists, some of you may recall, was once called the League of American Wheelmen, but as uh, Andy right. Clark, the executive director, told me, they've entered the 21st century, and so now they're the League of American Bicyclists. And really, for those of you that are in the United States, this is your industry association that will go and fight for you and fight for your rights on Capitol Hill. And Andy sort of describes it as the bike's version of the NRA. Now, don't take that the wrong way for those of you who may or may not be anti-gun. What it simply means is 
this is that's what he called it. I'm serious. This is this is our voice. They're the people who are fighting for us. So while you may belong to your local organization in your city or in your county, or while you may belong to your state organization, these are the people who are there to fight for you nationally. Uh, Bikes Belong, which is another organization that was there, which is headed by Tim Blumenthal, Bikes Belong is the industry's version of, of the Bike League. The Bike League is for individuals, people who are cyclists, and Bikes Belong is sponsored by manufacturers and people who uh, create products in the industry. Have I got that right, Tim? That is pretty accurate, yes. And they came together and they created uh, a day's worth of seminars on a wide variety of topics, on advocacy, on the health benefits of cycling. Uh, We heard from um, Congressman Earl Blumenauer. We heard from John Burke from Trek. Uh, We heard from the mayor of Louisville who was fantastic speaker inspiring yeah. I thought yeah, yeah. Uh, and, very energetic and, and we got to hear from Floyd Landis too that is correct um, just out of curiosity Tim what, what did you find to be the, the best parts of that first day man that is tough um, there was a lot there was a lot to absorb and I'm, I'm I'm still going over notes that I wrote down which I oddly enough don't have with me um, over things that were discussed. I mean, there was just there was a lot of information crammed into those little breakout sessions that we were in. Uh, one of the ones that appealed to me the most was the one about complete streets. And complete streets is a uh, a plan to have uh, new streets in the U.S. and even old streets renovated, so that they in- create better traffic flow and allow a shoulder for cycling as well as wider sidewalks for pedestrians and access for people who have uh, handicaps or wheelchairs, things like that. So there's, it's, it's a huge program to redesign the way we think about streets. And again, uh, infrastructure for cycling being something really important to me, that was one of the seminars that, that I really took a lot out of. Um, but there were other seminars that were uh, also really cool and for the life of me I mean it's the, there was one in particular that was about the business of cycling and the amount of money that cycling and, and issues related to cycling actually generate for the US economy and many of us in the bike industry have this sort of redheaded stepchild um, complex where it's just like well we don't really contribute that much money we're just this little pissant industry that no one really cares about because it's just a bunch of bike nerds and spandex but in reality, we actually contribute a whole lot of money to the economy in a lot of very diverse ways. And I, I tell you, that that particular seminar was really cool because it does invigorate you. It does make you think, well, hell yeah, I have a voice after all. I have a reason to be here at the table asking my government to support what I do because I give back. And that was that was really cool. I, I think a lot of people in the industry really need to see those numbers, and those numbers will be published because it's it's important to know. It, it, it. Speaking of the industry, did did you have a chance to hear John Burke, the president of Trek? No, he spoke the first night, and I didn't get in until late enough. That well, night. you know, he did, and a lot of people are calling him now the Al Gore of cycling because he did yeah, a, a PowerPoint presentation on what he called the inconvenient truth. Of, of cycling and of the bicycle industry and it really was all about how the industry itself needs to get more involved in bicycle advocacy and Amen. in fighting for the rights of cycling and of cyclists and Carlton you found um, 
some blog entries, some comments from people who felt that, that Trek had come late to the advocacy game, and, and they're just flat wrong. Yeah, yeah. They, they they were so wrong. And it, Jonathan, it was on Bike Portland, uh, it, uh, is yeah. on his uh, blog site, which is brilliant and did cover the, the bike summit really, really well. People were just yeah. coming on saying, oh, how, how come Trek is so late to this? It's like, uh, excuse me? <laughs> they were the ones who started this. And John Burke, mm-hmm. people were saying, oh, who is this guy? Is he, a, is he a Johnny come lately? Well, of course, he's the son of the founder of the company. So has been there since year dot. So totally, totally wrong. And I'd, I was going to go on there and put all this, but enough people came on there who work in the industry uh, uh, put these guys right. But then they went off on a, on a different tangent anyway and then just started attacking Trek. Uh, for being this this company that uh, tramples on people, so sh- what can you do? I have to say that Bike Portland probably had the best coverage mm. of of anyone on yeah. the bike summit. It was so incredibly complete. John yeah, Jonathan was cycling across to to Wi-Fi places three four miles each each day, uh, yeah. ferrying between just to to get it online. It was fantastic. I think he was, was on a folding bike, wasn't he? Yes, he was. It was yeah. so funny to watch him too on that uh, that first night that I was there on on uh, Wednesday night when we went through the uh, big discussions then, and uh, he had his laptop open, he had his camera out, and he had his notepad. So he's jotting notes, writing posts, and taking photographs all at the same time. I think that's very. His photographs are his photographs are from great. one side of the amphitheater to the other. I mean, he <laughs> was in one seat, then he was in another, then he was up at the top of the balcony. I mean, I've known John for a while, and he's just, his passion is pretty much unrivaled. I, I really have just a ton of respect for the work that he's doing. I think it's a very poor show that it wasn't a live video cast. I mean, Jonathan was really letting us down there. <laughs> hey, if, if, if we can get live video casts from, from the Mac conferences, why can't we get it from the National Bike Summit? Come on, Jonathan, pull your finger out. Yeah, we have to tell him to put a satellite dish on his back next time. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's funny. Uh, the, the next day, I hope that when John listens to this, he has a good laugh. <laughs> <laughs> and by the way, John, if you are listening, you're welcome on the show anytime. Um, the next day, we all went up to Capitol Hill and we we um, spoke with our congressional representatives. And unfortunately, due to events beyond my control, I wasn't able to to go and see uh, um, my representatives. But Tim, I know you did. Tell us what it was you were advocating for and what the response was from the people with whom we spoke? Well, it was kind of a mixed bag, um, sadly. I mean, uh, the reason I say that is that there were apparently a lot of very big votes going on on the Hill, so most of the members we were looking to speak to, whether we had appointments with them or not, were actually on the Hill voting. So uh, we got to talk to a lot of staffers um, who... it can be um, it can be forgiven if they were a little glazed over when you know a, a group of us stomp into their office without an appointment or even with an appointment and say hi we're here from the National Bike Summit here to speak to so and so and they just kind of go uh, okay um, so from that standpoint it wasn't as that part of it wasn't as rewarding as I really would have hoped however that said there were some really uh, interested people in those offices because. One of the tactics that that uh, were discussed during our How to Be an Advocate session on Wednesday night was find out who the cyclist is in the office because every office has a cyclist. And absolutely true. I went into one office to speak to a senator 
and one of the staffers actually rode to work that day on his Mazda. Yeah. So I, I was happy about that. <laughs> How perfect. How, I mean, absolutely, absolutely <laughs> perfect. I mean, it doesn't get much better than that. Uh, you you must travel with stickers that you just stick over <laughs> other people's bikes. So every bike is a Mazzy bike. Come on, this is not true. <laughs> I'm going to leave that one alone. <laughs> Um, but we did actually get to speak to senior staffers for uh, Barbara Boxer and Diane Feinstein, who were uh, two members of Congress from California. And um, for Barbara Boxer, uh, her staffer who was there met with us in one of the congressional hearing rooms. And let me tell you, it's kind of it's kind of cool to step into one of those hearing rooms and take a look at just the walls, just look at the ceiling, look at the chairs, and think, wow, this is where our government is debated. This is where things actually happen. And to be a humble bike nerd sitting in that room was was really pretty cool. I mean, I, I got to admit, there were a number of times while I was in D.C. that I had serious chills. It was It was really cool. What was it that, that you were advocating for when you were there specifically? Um, well, there were three of us in the group that I was running around with. Um, and because the other two that I was with, the other two people I was with, weren't um, necessarily bike industry people, uh, they were lobbyists largely. Um, well, one is a lobbyist, and one was with the. Uh, I want to say the Santa Barbara Bicycle Coalition, uh, and she was really good at what she did. I, I ended up getting nominated to talk about two issues that were important to IMBA, the International Mountain Biking Bicycling Association. Um, so that was what I was actually there to speak about. But um, we had six different topics. Basically, we were talking about five, really. Uh, one was for support of the Bicycle Commuter Act, which is a tax break that is created as a fringe benefit for people who commute by bike, uh, similarly to people who take subway or van pools or carpools, things like that. Employers can offer them an incentive to do that, and then the employer gets a tax break. So the Bicycle Commuter Act does the same thing, essentially, which I think is fantastic. When we're talking about you know, issues of global warming and climate change, that's, you know, getting people on bikes will help. And, and by the way, just to interrupt for a second, that act was sponsored by Congressman Earl Blumenauer from Oregon. And what was really cool was he spoke with, to us on Wednesday morning. And Tim, I don't know if you noticed, but when he was up on stage... He had the reflective uh, band around his ankle. How cool is that? Here's a guy who really does walk the walk. Yeah, he only gets around Capitol Hill on his bike. That's his way of getting around. Rain or shine. That was good. What else were you? What else was one of your topics? Uh, we were also there to get funding for the Conserve by Bicycling program, which was actually uh, part of the 2005 Energy Policy Act, and was just never given the funding uh, for the U.S. Department of Transportation. So it's really just a matter of saying, "Hey, you already approved it, so now give us the cash." Um, with uh, the issues for IMBA, there was funding for the. Uh, Rivers to Trails and Conversation Assistance Program, uh, which the RTCA is what it's called, uh, uh, was previously given money, has funding, I mean, um, but it's been grossly underfunded for years. So we were asking for additional funds to get it up to the proper level to actually get things done. Um, 
And there was another one for Emba that, for the life of me, I cannot remember. <laughs> See, once again, not doing your homework. We get it. It's okay. Exactly. Um, now, on Friday, there was there there was a, uh, a a conversation about Shimano's coasting program, and something which I think is really cool. Uh, just real briefly, Tim, tell us about that. I wasn't there for it. Oh, you're kidding. <laughs> All right, well, well here's the coast, here, here, in a nutshell, here's what the coasting program is about. Uh, Shimano has taken the lead with other manufacturers in determining sort of a general spec for a bicycle for the masses, if you will. This is not a bicycle for enthusiasts. This is not a bicycle for mountain biking. It's a bicycle for transportation and for fun and to get more people on bikes, which is uh, certainly one of the goals of the bike summit as well as one of the goals of the industry and certainly for people who are concerned about the environment and climate change another goal of, of those people as well and they really spearheaded this effort in coming up with so-called coasting bikes and they were speaking on that on Friday and I wish I hadn't missed it because it was something that I was very interested in hearing about and I've read a lot of articles and part of the of the coasting program isn't just about the bike itself, but it's also about the bike shop experience. When they were going through this whole program, one of the things that they did was, I mean, imagine you're a, you're a novice and you walk into a bike shop. It can be really intimidating. We've all been there at one time or another. So what they did as sort of a focus group was they took bike shop employees and they sent them to a cosmetics counter and they said, I want you to go buy skincare products. And that was all they told them. So it's just like walking into a bike shop and saying, go buy a bike. And the, the bike shop employees walked away from the cosmetics counter so incredibly confused and befuddled because there was all this jargon and all these things that they had no idea what these people were talking about. And what they learned from that was maybe we need to be a little bit more sensitive to the people who come into our shops and the way that we speak to them. And hopefully it will result in, in bicycle shops being much more inclusive and far less intimidating places to go. And so I think that that's a great program. I'm looking forward to hearing more about it uh, from Shimano and the rest of the industry. Now, that dovetails really well into something that I heard on Tim Grawl's program recently, where he was talking to uh, the clothing manufacturer, Swobo, about their new bikes. And it, I think it's a very similar sort of a... Of a situation to what Shimano was working on with the coasting program. Tim, tell us a little bit about that. Well, back in July, uh, Swobo announced their new line of bikes that they'll be releasing in the spring, which they just released. Uh, and it was a couple months after they picked up Sky Jaeger from Bianchi. So uh, everybody kind of had a feeling that they were doing something along the lines of coming out with their own bikes, and then they made that announcement. But what was interesting about the announcement was that all they talked about was how they were making a different kind of bike and making a bike uh, for people that don't necessarily ride bikes now and uh, for the utilitarian experience is uh, what he kept saying. So uh, it was really interesting to me, so I, I got an interview with him, and uh, it just sounded really neat what they were talking about because they were they were doing their best to come from the aspect of you know, most bikes within the bike industry are are built towards performance. And so they wanted a bike that was built towards just 
doing one thing well, and that was being a mode of transportation. And they wanted to make the experience, they didn't want to put their logo big and blazing on the bike. They wanted to make it uh, so that anybody could buy their bike and feel like it was theirs. And so uh, they released three different types of bikes uh, for pre-order now. I think they actually are going to ship April 1st. And uh, they have a fixed gear and a coaster. And then, uh, I can't remember the other one off the top of my head. But they came out with three models, and they're priced really well, and you can buy them online. And I just thought it was pretty exciting how they are just going after uh, the crowd that may not be into biking for performance, but are looking to uh, just have it as a mode of transportation. Now, it sounded like they weren't going to be making a huge quantity of these bikes, at least the first year. Uh, did, did they give you a sense on, on how many they're planning on making um, and what the price points are going to be? Well, the price points are, I think, five, let's see, four ninety nine, five ninety nine, and six ninety nine. And I think they're kind of making them, uh, they're starting small, but since they're doing a pre-sale and other things along those lines, I think they're going to try to just see just try to make them as they're being bought and uh, just try to stay a little bit ahead. Yeah, but they'll gauge uh, interest off of that, too. Right. I mean, they're a small outfit, so they can't make huge runs of these bikes. But uh, they, they, I think they are just going to do their best to base it off of what kind of sales they have in the beginning. So there you go, folks. It's either an, an iPhone or a Swobo bike. Hmm. There you go. <laughs> I'd go for the Swobo bike. Yeah, they are pretty kick-ass. So, Tim, also tell us, you mentioned Sky Yeager from Bianchi, and, and you know the insiders know who that is, but, but for those who aren't insiders, who's Sky? Uh, well, she's the she's the woman behind most of Bianchi's bikes, and uh, she, how long was she there? I'm not sure. Tim, Tim would probably know that one. Jeez, it seems like she was there for forever. I mean, she she had a long tenure. I, honestly, I don't know the the exact number of years she was there, but she did the things with Bianchi USA that made the brand uh, a great seller here. I mean, Bianchi has a wonderful, rich history. I mean, they've been around for over 125 years, so they've got all that kind of good stuff going on, tour wins, Giro wins, all that kind of thing. She wasn't but, with them that whole time, right? No, not 125 years. <laughs> okay. <laughs> <No>. <laughs> But she's she, she's not chick logo, isn't she? Yes, exactly, exactly. She's, yeah, I have the I have the, I have the puss for it. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Pink ugly, ugly single speed. I mean, she she was the one who infused a, a really cool hip sort of uh, U.S. mentality into a brand that was again full of great history, but but uh, slumping sales. And and turned around. I mean, the Bianchi Pista is a prime example. I mean, that was a fun fixed gear bike that was cheap, was good looking, and did the job. Um, she was the one who was responsible for bringing single speed uh, mountain bikes to Bianchi, and you know she did she did some really cool stuff that uh, you know uh, helped to make the brand strong in the U.S. She just did. She was just really, really smart. She's uh, from a product standpoint. Uh, she's she's one of my heroes, and what she's doing with Swobo just pisses me off that it's that great. <laughs> so, so Tim, where where will people be able to buy these bikes? They can buy them online at swobo.com. That's S-W-O-B-O.com. And uh, the third one I mentioned uh, was a, it's a three-speed bike. So they have a one-speed coaster a fixed gear, and then a three-speed. 
And you gotta love the names too. I mean, one's called the Fulsome for the single yeah. speed. The three speed is called Otis, and the fixed gear, a flat bar fixed gear, no less, is called the Sanchez. I mean, a- again, typical personality of both Swobo and Sky combined. I mean, it, it's man, that's a great marriage. Yeah, and I'll, I'm gonna get to ride the Sanchez at Sea Otter too, so I'm looking forward nice. to that. Yeah, see, we, we were talking about this earlier. Tim Jackson is sort of our, our Kevin Bacon here on the show because I was with him in D.C. Carlton <laughs> will be with him in Taiwan, and uh, Tim's going to be with him at Sea Otter. So, uh, I don't know, you get around to six, de- six degrees of Mozzie Guy. That's right. Um, so, is, guys, is this really setting a trend here? Is, is this something that we're going to be seeing more of in the future? I mean, I'm, I'm a, a road geek and, and have been a mountain geek, and, and you know, t- Tim's a a track geek, and so is Carlton, and 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 then the other Tim is a, is a mountain bike geek. Is this a trend? I mean, are people moving away from those of us that are that are, that are enthusiasts? Is is cycling? Are we moving finally toward, at least here in the United States, more of a a, a culture of the bikes as modes of transportation, it's the, uh, and away from from enthusiasts? It's the biggest market. I do believe so. Well, Right, right. It, it is the, the bulk of the market, and it's going to continue to be the bulk of the market as the population continues to age and more and more people begin to get on bikes. I mean, let's face it, not everybody who wants to buy a bike now is going to want to buy a road bike, uh, a racing bike where there's, you know, two feet of distance between the and drop between the saddle and the handlebars. You know, no, there aren't that many people that have that kind of lower back flexibility. And so, so do you think that we're going to see companies like like Mozzie, for instance, and and uh, some of the other high end companies coming out with with this style bike, or is this something that, that new companies like Swobo will be bringing to the table? Can I? Can I there's already there's already been a, twi- a trend in uh, in people coming out with their fixed gear commuter bikes and building them that way. Both Raleigh and Redline have come out with theirs exactly. years ago. Exactly. And Carlton? While we've been recording, I got a, a press release from SolidWorks, uh, which is talking about the, the Trek Lime, and it's saying it's a new kind of bike for a different type of bicycle consumer, those who long ago abandoned cycling but just might want to ride again, and then spin forward, and it says Trek, not just uh, Lance Armstrong, etc., blah, 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 blah. It's also the company that wants to get you out of your family van and back on two wheels. So Trek is the the the, the big guy here uh, Swobo is the little guy they're, they're meeting in the middle they're doing the same thing same kind of consumer uh, same kind of demographic because it is the the biggest part of the market I was just oh, going to say to Trek's credit they've, they've been doing that for a long time oh for sure I, 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 have, I have to admit that, that Trek has been building bikes that were geared towards regular riders for commuters uh, for a long, long time I mean it's uh, I think, David, what you're seeing, and, and I'm, I'm, I'm sure you're, you know, you're asking this question just to get the conversation going because you already know the answer to this. You're a smart guy, but I've been uh, found out. <laughs> yeah, exactly. The, the industry has been doing this in small numbers for a long time, even here in the states. But it hasn't been given any kind of marketing support. It hasn't been given any love. It hasn't been getting pushed, and now that stuff is starting to happen. And you know, I can't speak specifically for Mozzie because you know uh, I'm I can't give away everything all at once. But you'll see some cool new stuff. R- road is and down, inventory. There's 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 right. there's tons of bikes well, out I mean, there. Inventory is up exactly. Well, inventory sorry, inventory is up. up. I meant is so the the bikes are uh, sales are, are, are suffering at the road, but uh, yeah. hybrid, coaster, whatever you want to call it, city bikes, 
this is where the mm -hmm. the growth a we'd like to come from because it gets lots of new people on bikes and also is coming from and perhaps one of the reasons is because of these new bikes people are now thinking i can ride one of them i can't ride one of those carbon yeah. fiber with with saddles like that but i can ride one of those so well the, the, let's let's uh and this is a trend that I think that we're going to have to watch for for months and years to come. But it, it is it is interesting, and, and I think that it, it bodes well for the future of of bicycles. Um, not necessarily for cycling, but for bicycles, and that's a, that's a good thing. Um, I would argue that in a little bit, David, because I think that the more people we get on bikes, the more people we'll be able to convert into enthusiasts. And as they become enthusiasts, they'll develop an interest just vicariously in what's happening in cycling. I mean, there's. There, there are a lot of people who uh, glommed on to the yellow bracelets that Lance was uh, such a big part of who had no interest at all in cycling, and now they follow the tour religiously because they got drawn into the drama and the excitement. And I think that if we get people commuting by bike on any kind of clunker or any kind of cool new bike, the potential to tap that passion is there. Yeah, I think you're right. Absolutely. That's what I like about Swobos too is that they're they're just cool. Mm -hmm. So, it's going to make it even easier for the 20 somethings to jump on the bandwagon of riding a bike because now they're getting bikes that are easy to buy. They're made for what they need them for. They're not made for racing and they're just cool. Mhm. Mm I would agree. And you know, J Congressman Jim Oberstar, going back to the the bike summit again, he he said something mm -hmm. which was which really chimed with me and tells you that new people are coming into cycling. And he said about the the, the all the advocates in the room, but I suppose meaning also cyclists in general. And he said when we first got here, when the first bike summit uh, was on, we could have met in a phone booth. Now, of course, right. it's it's lots of people there, as as you two will, can attest, and it's the same for new cyclists. I think there's a lot out there. It was about 450 attendees mm. at Bike Summit this year, mm. and and when we were in that room when Overstar was speaking, uh, it was packed. Yeah, mm. there was there was no room. Uh, well, speaking of turning uh, bicycle buyers into enthusiasts uh, who watch the Tour de France, we all know that that last year's Tour de France was mired in drugs and, and doping allegations, and, and perhaps the biggest was the Operation Puerto scandal out of I've Spain. Never heard of that. Yeah, I'm sorry. I know we've never mentioned it here on the show. No. Operation what? And, and now I'm sort of sorry that we did because, as lots of people are reporting, it looks like there's a good chance that Puerto is over. Um, Carlton, what's going on? What time is it? Because <laughs> this this is changing so frequently, it, it's hard to keep up. And you really have got to be reading uh, the latest misses from the UCI and from the, the Spanish authorities to, to keep on top. Because, no, it's not over. But then it is over. Oh, no, it's not over. Yes, it is over. And it, it, it will it'll carry on because I think the, the UCI has got the bit between its teeth. It wants to prosecute... Uh, some riders over this, not not in a, a legal sense, but certainly in a, in a moral and we're going to get you sense, and very possibly for for a very good reason. If if there are some blood bags out there uh, that can be traced back to certain individuals, then yeah, they should be got. But uh, it just is continuous mess. So so what happened? This a Spanish judge basically threw it out. Is that right? He said there wasn't any health case to answer. 
but then leaving it open to the fact that the new law, which came in February, which is against February this year, which is against um, doping in sport, uh, it would have to be attacked from that point of view. He couldn't do anything about it because even if these guys were uh, using um, a variety of methods to make themselves go faster, it wasn't harming the public health. And now the cycling authorities are saying, no, it is harming the public health because these guys are members of the public. And it's just, it's kind of weird. Um, but this this top judge has got to decide whether the the appeal goes ahead. And uh, very possibly uh, that, that might succeed. Now, if there's a new law that came in this year, February of this year, how can they apply it to a case that began last year. Uh, they can't. This is almost out of the, the hands of the Spanish um, authorities now, unless that appeal somehow uh, changes the focus, but I, I don't see that's the case. I think it would be the UCI was not commenting for the three days it took for the uh, the appeal to be uh, lodged, but clearly what they want is to get their hands on all the evidence. So even if this case totally collapses in Spain and people think, oh, that's the uh, Operation Puerto Ebro, it's not because then UCI and um, no doubt WADA will uh, want to get their hands on all this evidence and then then start all over again from an internal point of view, just within cycling. Right, just to clarify that, and that was going to be my next question. Uh, for those of you who may, may remember, or maybe you don't, the Spanish authorities said you may not get your hands on the evidence related to Puerto until it's been adjudicated in the Spanish courts. So if it does get thrown out by the Spanish courts, then that gives the various um, cycling sanctioning bodies around the world a chance to get their hands on all that evidence, including the UCI as well as all the national organizations, uh, and it will then give them the evidence that they may need in order to go after the individuals who are alleged to be involved in the Puerto Affairs. So if it gets thrown out, it may actually cause you know, sort of all these little these these other mini Puerto cases all over the world. So I think that, that there's a lot more I think when people say Puerto's dead, I think that just means in Spain, but I think that this whole affair has many, possibly many years to go. I mean would you say that's right, Carlton? Oh you said that and my, my heart went to flutter. Yes, oh yeah. <laughs> yeah, probably. It's true. Probably, probably yeah, yeah. it's far from over. So a lot more, unfortunately, for us to talk about here, which I know some people hate, but it, you know it really is, unfortunately, when it comes to professional cycling, probably the top story still. I would just yeah. like cycling authorities to just wait for the conclusion of cases before they open their big traps. That's that's all we ask. I mean, it's it's not much to ask. All the other sports do it. Uh, just stay quiet. Don't comment on stuff that is still up before judges and courts. Just Hold your fire. Yeah. No, I have to say what was really sort of charming <clears throat> Excuse me, was when, when Floyd Landis got up to speak at the bike summit, he yeah. said a few words, and then he, you know, he, he said, well, I'll take some questions. And the questions were things about when he was growing up and about um, you know, how his hip is doing and these sorts of just really nice questions from a friendly crowd. Yeah. He says, I love these questions. I could stay here all day yeah. because you know, these aren't the kinds of questions he normally gets. Exactly. So that was kind of nice. Um, well, let's move on to another topic that that Carlton brought to us, and and this is something that's that uh, I mean, it's 
it's funny you brought it up in the UK and here I am in, in the heart of Hollywood but uh, Carlton talk to us about the films that might be coming up soon well if you've seen the the nutty professor and if you've seen um, the Evan Almighty um, and Bruce Almighty films either the Evan Almighty ones coming out in the summer isn't it but that that kind of um, whole uh, genre of films done by a guy, guy called Shadiac and uh, he's going to be bringing out in sometime in probably within the next two years, a film parodying, uh, a parody of Cycle Sport. So it's uh, called at the moment Tour de Franck. Uh, we don't have fantastic details of what it's going to be about, but clearly there is an enormous amount of uh, scope for taking the, the Wii out of uh, professional cycle sport. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> And uh, uh, now, you know, there, there haven't been a lot of great cycling movies. There have been a few. I mean, everybody talks about Breaking Away, for instance, as exactly. you know, a, a great cycling movie. And Doesn't that have a brand in it? The... David, that has a brand in it, it of bike? It has a matter oh, of... man. Roadmaster. Yeah, no, it's Roadmaster. <laughs> uh, I can't believe I fell into that. Um, Fine, I'll leave that one alone. <laughs> <laughs> it's a mozzie. Um... And what happened? What happened to the Lance Armstrong film? I thought they were supposed to be a Lance Armstrong. Yeah, film whatever happened to that? Yeah, the the Sea Biscuit guy was meant to be doing that, wasn't he? Um, maybe Lance is just not available because clearly he's got to play the Lance character. No, I thought um, Matt Damon was going to play Matt Damon. Yeah, yeah that's what I, I heard. I was kidding. I was kidding. <laughs> well, anyway, so so cycling movies. I mean, I think that's good. Like like we've talked about so many times, anything that puts the spotlight. Yeah on bicycles is good right. for for the, the cycling community yeah people on right. on quick release tv were saying oh they're going to make jokes about lycra and drugs and yeah but everything that gets this yeah, out in in the, in the open is is good in my book it's it's parody is fantastic it it's uh they're saying this sport is here go watch it yeah and that's a good thing i, I like that a lot and you know that's that's one of the great things well, about Lance Armstrong, one of the great things about the the, the explosion in, in cable TV and in the internet is the fact that it gives people more of a chance to see cycling, and it's and it, I think it's one of the things that contributes to the popularity uh, of, of of the sport, the popularity of the, the Tour of California, the Tour of Georgia, and, and all of these other things. And I, I think that it's it's only good for cycling. You know, I, I heard recently about what was once the most popular spectator sport. Uh, and I know Tim Jackson, you're going to know about this six day racing, mm-hmm. and it was once an amazingly popular sport. And where it went, I'm not entirely sure. But you, you know, it, it, when you look at the popularity of the Tour of California, of the Tour de France, of Lance Armstrong, it, it really helps harken back to those days of six day racing when these guys would literally come into town, they'd put up a track in about ten hours, and they would have some great cycling races. And so yep. hopefully we'll get back to that that point. Amen. Man, I'd love to see that. So, uh, uh, I, you know, I, 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 I would, at this point in the show, I would normally go to our cycling tips of the week. But yeah. since I haven't really teased everybody with it and given everybody <laughs> a chance to do their homework, I think this is a great time for everybody to tell us where you can be found and how you can be reached. So, uh, again, let's just start at the top of my list here on my screen. Tim Jackson, how can people find you? And, and, and I know you're going to say the, the name of that brand that was in Breaking Away. Hmm, let's see. Oh, yeah. 
they can find the product at uh, mozziebikes.com. Uh, beautiful bikes, by the way. Uh, they can also find me at mozzieguy.blogspot.com, or they can uh, listen, well, not listen in, but they can read uh, my ramblings and my uh, companions ramble on Shut Up and Drink the Kool-Aid, where we talk about bicycle marketing. And uh, they can also hit me via email at uh, tjackson at mozziebikes.com. Excellent. Tim Graw? You can find me at crookedcog.com or uh, my podcast, crookedcogpodcast.com, and uh, drop me an email at tim at crookedcog.com. Even if you just want to wish him well with his cold. Yeah. That's right. (laughs) And Carlton Reed. Carlton Reed at mac.com is the email address. Uh, The websites would be bikebiz.com and uh, crookrelease.tv. Real good. I'm David Bernstein from the Fredcast Cycling Podcast, www.thefredcast.com, and you can send me an email anytime. Oh, I'm really slow in responding these days, and I have to apologize to thefredcast at gmail.com. Gentlemen, thank you so much once again for spending your morning with us. We'll be back again in two weeks. Um, and guys, next time I think we're going to have to have two cycling tips of the week just to make up for today. Uh, so yes yeah, so start repairing now you've been, you've been warned uh, everyone thanks a lot for listening and of course our website www.the-spokesmen.com thanks again for listening thanks for staying subscribed tell all your friends but in the meantime get out there and ride